This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. Welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back week by week, show by show, covering everything from the first Nitro right the way through to the very, very last. My name is Sai, and today I am testing out a brand new setup where I record for the very first time. So if there's any sound issues or any problems, I hugely apologise. It's completely my end. Hopefully that won't be the case. But joining me as always is the Wrestling Encyclopedia seems to be a nickname that's sticking with him, given to him, I think, by Chris Bellis recently, but very, very apt, very, very accurate description. It's Scottish Danny himself. How are we doing, my friend? Hello, sir. I'm doing really well. I'm excited to get into another Nitro. Thank you for yeah. that wonderful nickname as well. Well, well, I heard I heard Chris Bellis use it the other day. And then the other night on Chain Wrestling, there was a couple of occasions where you jumped in the chat with answers to stuff that I couldn't answer and my guest host on that evening couldn't answer as well. So, yes, yeah, I think it's a very fitting, very fitting description for you, uh, Wrestling Encyclopedia, because I think you've got the memory of, well, I, I don't know what this is, say a memory of an elephant, I guess, is the term, isn't it? But yeah, there you go. I see facts, facts seem to go into your head and stay there, don't they? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, they do. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, this edition of Monday Nitro was broadcast on the uh, 11th of December, 1995, from Charlotte, North Carolina. So very much horseman country, very much flair country, going way back to the old Jim Crockett promotions and so on. Uh, the ratings for this particular Monday night, we had Raw hitting a 2.2, but Nitro winning the week with a 2.6. So another victory for Nitro there. What did you think then, Danny? 
Excellent. I mean, um, it, I mean, you can see why the ratings are growing because they're getting more and more um, interesting with the storylines and things like that. But yeah, I enjoyed this show. I I did too, mate. I did too. Obviously, we're going to get to our ratings and how we uh, how we rate the shows. I guess at the very end of the episode today. But ultimately, I think we're we're getting some good television now. These last couple of nitros on the okay, there's been a lot of ropey moments. It's still 1995 for crying out loud, but we're getting some good wrestling on the screen. We're getting some interesting storylines with the whole Sting Luger thing, and I, I just think we're we're sort of getting some great TV at the moment. You did promise me that, sir, when we started this. So I think that's coming through. <laughs> I weren't expecting it this early. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this is a little bonus, mate. <laughs> Okay, I mean, we start off with our usual trio of commentators, Mongo, uh, Bischoff, and Heenan, talking about th- the current goings-on in WCW, I suppose, the current the, the current uh, la- lay of the land, I guess. But then, very quickly, we jump to the ring, because they're starting a match straight away, aren't they? Yeah, I found that really uh, odd. But um, I think in the opening pyro, you could see... Uh, Eddie Guerrero, um, uh, he was in the dark as the pyro was going off, and I thought, well, that's a bit odd to start with without any entrances, isn't it? Yeah, a bit of a jobber's entrance for him, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, the old um, Sunday Night Heat entrance, we used to call it. <laughs> right, okay, okay, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we start off basically with Eddie Guerrero versus Mr. JL, or JL, as I think he's still known. His name seems to flick back and forth a little bit, I think. Yep. Yeah. It really does. Um, I I think he was introduced as JL, but uh, Bobby Heenan okay. just called him Mister JL. He just thought, ah, let's just just call him, just put a Mister in front of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just having the initials JL sounds a bit odd to me. You get lots of wrestlers who, and I suppose you know, with the NWO, you get factions as well potentially that are three initials: JBL, RVD. It seems to all work, you know, that that sort of um, repetitive dun-dun-dun, I guess, the aspect of the three initials. JL, for me, doesn't seem to work. Obviously, we know it's Jerry Lynn, and Jerry Lynn is Jerry Lynn. Is Jerry Lynn. It's the guy's name, and he's a fantastic talent. So hearing JL, just the name doesn't work for me. No, uh, same here. It's a bit bland, but as you said, three initials work. I can think of another great person, SJP. <laughs> well you're very very kind you're very kind yes well yeah thank you <laughs> uh we got a very fast start to this match and i i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the the opening to this it's very quick as it would be i suppose with someone like eddie guerrero and jerry lynn in there uh, eddie guerrero was flying all over the place and the commentary start talking then of the world cup of wrestling coming at starcade and this is something i really i i enjoy this so i think is good because We've been quite critical of WCW in previous months, it's saying that they don't build the pay-per-views, they build the main events. So Four Brawl was all about one particular match. Uh, World War Three was all about one particular match. And Halloween Havoc was all about one particular match and some bloody monster truck nonsense. Um, <laughs> but this one, for the first time, Starcade, which is coming very much at the, literally at the very end of December, they're talking about more than just the main event or the world title picture already. And I think that's a really nice touch because so we've missed, isn't it, Danny? 
Yeah, it really is. Um, I think Eric Bischoff announced a uh, match that Eddie Guerrero was going to be in on the night, which was pretty cool as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes a, a complete difference, doesn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I, I want to know what's what's happening on the card. I mean, we mentioned previously, you know, our, our gimmick is kind of, our, I will ask you to run through the the whole card that's on the pay-per-view to see what we actually know about it or not. And the, the last few we've covered, we've known nothing. So, a diddly spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So if that is the case here, that we're going to start finding more out, then that's good news to me. Absolutely. I suppose you also, something I've noticed as well, I've just thought about it, to be honest. You, you look at, say, the, the, the WWF, because that is the obvious comparison, isn't it? Whenever we're sort of making comparisons in the wrestling world during the WCW run, the WWF is the obvious one. They would always have on their go home show. It may not be the last segment because the last segment tends to be promoting the promoting the pay per view with with what's going on in ring. But they would always have a run through of the card and bring graphics up saying this match is happening Sunday, this match is happening Sunday. I remember the, the sort of going into WrestleMania 17, we had the Austin and Rock stuff, which closed the last episode of Raw or SmackDown or whatever it was. But earlier in the show, the commentators would run through the whole card. And it's literally a last attempt to, to, to sell the event, I guess. I don't get why WCW just don't do that. It would take 30 seconds up of TV time but you're giving so much information to the fans. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. I mean, they seem to be more excited to promote Saturday night's cards than the actual pay-per-view, um, which is really odd because every night you, you hear what Disco Inferno is doing on a Saturday night, but um, you don't hear about what the, what's on offer in the pay-per-view. But that is a great point you made about the um, pay-per-view run-throughs that WWE or WWF d- did. Um, yeah, I... I I think there's a playlist on YouTube that has a load of them uh, and you just see the commentators actually interested in lining up the pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, I suppose on the other side of the coin, sometimes it can have an adverse effect, whereas I mentioned WrestleMania 17 as an example there. That was one hell of a card. Of course it was. But then you get other things, I suppose from an era that you you very much were a fan of because it's what got you interesting in the, sort of the mid-2000s where you had the first brand split to me, you'd be watching, say, a Raw-only pay-per-view or a, Raw, a SmackDown-only pay-per-view, sorry, and they'd have the run-through uh, on-the-go-home show, and you'd realise, because the roster had been split, how many stars were not actually on the card. So I suppose that's the other side of the coin, potentially. That's the danger of doing this, maybe? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well, because, as you said, the roster's so thin, they were so thin in some of those years, um, that they just had, like, Funaki getting matches and things like that on the, yeah, yeah. On the pay-per-view. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Uh, back to the, the, the opener here, I suppose. Again, lots of flying around, Eddie Guerrero hitting flying head scissors, and JL's holding his own in that aspect as well. We get a moment that's a little bit scary, because Jerry Lynn attempts a springboard dropkick from the middle rope, to knock Eddie Guerrero out of the ring and slips. And he does complete the move. He does, he does hit Eddie Guerrero, but it's almost like if he'd slipped, you know, a touch more, he could have potentially come down on, on his shoulders or the back of his neck or something. That was a bit of a concern, wasn't it? Yeah. It looked really scary. Um, I'm glad he uh, was able to recover and yeah, it looked, it was a pretty scary moment. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we hear as well, Eddie Guerrero is facing Atami at Starcade just after this. And then there's more talk of the triangle match, which is Sting, Luger, and Flair. 
which will then lead to the main event, which will be a world title match against Savage. So again, we're hearing more mentions of the pay-per-view, more mentions of the card, which fixes complaints that we've had previously. So I think this is all heading in the right direction now. Yeah, absolutely. I think this they'd fixed a lot of mistakes. We'll get into it. Um, a lot of our complaints, just grievances, had been fixed during this show. So that was good to see. Yeah, yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. I mean, Eddie Guerrero ultimately wins the match, but he wins it out of nowhere for me. It's one of those sort of sunset flip exchanges where the one guy is pinning the, the is pinning his opponent, and then they counter it into another pin, and and you see it a lot in in cruiserweight wrestling or indie wrestling. And the referee is literally jumping from side to side going one, two, and there's a counter, one, two, and there's a counter, one, two, and it rolls on for a few. But in this instance, Eddie Guerrero goes for a sunset flip type maneuver. Jerry Lynn counters it, but Guerrero counters again into the pinning combination and gets the three. And I thought that was really, really, really well done. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. It was a nice, clean finish to open the um, Nitro, so oh, that was good to see. Yeah, and it was a good contest. I mean, to me, it's, it becomes a, a real stable of, of WCW the more we watch, that the Cruiserweights open pay-per-views, the Cruiserweights open big events and so on. So we're seeing that a little touch of that here, I suppose, with Eddie Guerrero and, and Jerry Lynn. And it works because I'm now... I'm I'm up for watching the wrestling. I'm thinking that that was great. I enjoyed that. Let's see more. So to me, that, that, that that's the purpose of an opener. Yeah, definitely. I mean, WSW is not long brought in these cruiserweights and this cruiserweight division. And it's nice to see that they are heading in a nice direction going into 1996. So let's see what that brings. Yeah, definitely. Mate. Definitely. Uh, following that, we get Mean Gene popping up on the entrance ramp, as he often does. Just a, just appears out of nowhere, doesn't he? Like some sort of little, little mustachioed teleporter just popping up all over the place. And um, he is speaking to the total package, Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart. And there's a lot of talk of Starcade and Luger being the uncrowned, unofficial world champion because he's effectively had Savage beat twice. I mean, okay, those matches didn't end in a clean, proper finish. Of course not. But you can kind of see Luger and Jimmy Hart's point here in that they're saying Luger should be world champion already. It's only a matter of time. And I think the build for Luger here, and actually, to be honest, the partnership of Luger and Jimmy Hart is going quite well. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, um, they kept referring to him as the uncrowned WCW champion. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I never thought Lex Luger would be a guy that needed a manager, but he's going well with um, Jimmy Hart, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, Luger, we spoke about him on a previous episode here at Nitro Nights, didn't we? In that I'm a big Luger fan and I can't really put my finger on why. There's a lot of things Luger does that, that sort of ticks boxes for wrestlers that I don't always enjoy watching. But I've, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Luger, and I, I can't tell you why. I, I was a massive fan of the late 80s, NWA, Jinko Promotions, and so on, and Luger was a big part in that. And back then, though, he was a different type of wrestler. He was better in what he did then. The storytelling was different and so on. But here, Luger having Jimmy Hart alongside him, I think helps Luger seem less wooden. It's almost like Jimmy... I mean, Jimmy Hart, let's be honest... As, as great a manager and as great a wrestling, I suppose, uh, a wrestling personality as he has been for decades, he can get a bit too much. There can be too much Jimmy Hart on a show. 
and he's jumping around in his bloody megaphone and his colorful jackets and his squeaky voice does my head in. However, alongside Luger, who is very static, looks incredible. Let's be honest, Luger has always looked amazing. But Luger's very static, and he stands there and delivers his promos in a very uh, very straight-to-camera, almost monotone way. The balance, I think, tends to work well for the pair of them, I think. Yeah, it really does. You know, I'd like to see, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more. I'm looking forward to seeing more, because it seems as though... They complement each other well, I suppose, is, is, this, is the term I'm looking for, potentially. But there we go. I, I think uh, um, it's not going to be long until you see Jimmy Hart have a Lex Luger jacket. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, that, to be honest, his jackets and his gear is always one thing I did kind of like. I, mean, I always remember the Nasty Boys jacket he had with their logo that looked spray-painted on in the way that the Nasty Boys would have it. And then they, he, has a, he had a crash helmet with the Nasty Boys as well. I always thought that was quite cool. But yeah, that was wearing lots of red and yellow. Yes, I mean he still wears them to this day. So, I mean they yeah. must um, survive well. Have you seen the TV show Legends House? Yes. And you can see how Jimmy Hart can be quite annoying, can't you? Yeah, too much of Hart is never a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, two people, I suppose, who maybe don't complement each other quite as much are the Disco Inferno, you know, firm favourite of the show, of course, and uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. So we've got two very interesting characters, two very interesting gimmicks, and two quite interesting theme songs as well, Danny. Uh, talk us through this one. Talk us through your thoughts on this match uh, and, and well, the whole setup in general. Well, when this match came on, I thought it was going to be one of those... Um, the teacher or the uh, old vet passes the torch to the rookie uh, kind of match. And okay. uh, for the first uh, part of it, just before, well, we'll get to entrances first. The entrances, I'm glad to see that they've both got their full entrance. In fact, with Mr. Wonderful, he seemed like his went on forever, didn't it? You've got a proper thing about entrances, aren't you? And people not getting a real proper entrance. Yeah, it just grinds my gears when you can hear like an entrance be cut off just for timing issues or things like that, yeah. especially on television, because it just adds to the presentation of the character. Yeah, I, I thought this match went in a completely different way than I thought it would have went. Um, to me, Disco Inferno should have won this, but it okay. Was- like, I mean, uh, I'd love to know your thoughts about that as well, especially that finish. To me, this the best part of this match was, was um, Mr. Wonderful's entrance. He's he's coming out with, whereas Orndorff used to always have the longer robe, didn't he? Yeah. Now it's, been, it's, it's a jacket now. It's been cut off to be a jacket. So, so you know, but still very sparkly and over the top, etc. And he's got this hand mirror that I think we explained before on an episode of Nitro Nights. And he's posing in the mirror, mirror and so on. And he's singing that entrance theme, that, you know, wonderful and all this sort of stuff. He's singing all, all that. And he's trying to get the crowd to join in with it as well. And then they're having none of it. I kind of wish that they got into it, though. I kind of wish that they did have a big sing-along in the same way they had, you know, people singing to Fandango's theme late, in later years. I remember that well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Paula chants start quite early. And that was always a big part of um, Paul Orndorff in WCW. The fans chanting Paula at him, and he used to make him really irate. So uh, you know that sort of took me back to being a kid and seeing him, seeing him on Worldwide and and so on. There's lots of lots of talk here about Sting and Hulk Hogan as these guys are putting the match on from the commentators. 
And I mean, whereas it doesn't take away from the match, because I'll be honest, not a great deal happens in the match worth discussing. It does kind of make me think, okay, you've got a guy like Disco Inferno who, regardless of our opinions of him now, he's he's a relatively new talent. He's been on TV for a while, but this, you know, mainly wrestling on Saturday night. He's now on Nitro live, and he's wrestling a guy who was in, who was a former main eventer at WrestleMania for crying out loud. A guy who very, very recently was the WWE TV champion. So it's a big spot, really. And and then you've got Orndorff, who's kind of making these tweaks to his character as well, and fully, you know, doubling down on the Mr. Wonderful gimmick with the music and the posing and so on. And you then you kind of give him a couple of minutes, which maybe isn't enough. And then you talk about Sting and Hogan in the main event over the top of it a lot. I think it kind of took away from the match, maybe. Yeah, I could definitely see that as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, they really need to work on that. I think is stop overhyping the main events when an important match is going on. Well, yeah, but that, I, mean, I, I understand there's got to be part of it. I understand that because the, the money's in Sting, the money's in Hogan, the money's in Savage, the giant, the money's in the top end of the card at this point. I suppose in in mid December 1995, I don't think people are buying tickets to see Paul Orndorff anymore. You know, I don't think people are buying tickets to see the Disco Inferno, or maybe they, I don't think they ever did, to be fair. But um, I understand that. So they're talking about the guys who, in theory, are the moneymakers for the company. Because ultimately, we keep talking, we keep saying it, Danny, we keep coming back to the same phrase, it is a business. However, when you've got two effectively semi-new gimmicks on your television program, I think you can pay them a little bit more attention because in, you, know, you don't quite know where they're going to go in the coming months. Perhaps they could turn into people who could make you a bit of money. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, that's something I wrote down as well. I can't, no disrespect to Paul Ondorf, but I kind of felt like he was outdated here. It was like it wasn't mm. like because he was old. Because I'm sure he was only in his forties, and he had just uh, whipped um, Vader to complete hell, didn't he? But like he, he just felt an outdated character to me. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I've always got a thing about the um, the robes, the the sort of sparkly robes, sparkly jackets kind of thing. It, 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 to me, it's a very 80s style gimmick. Lots of people did it in the 80s. And Greg Valentine famously wore robes like that for a long time. I mean, there's there's plenty I can list. I don't want to insult any any people listening, any wrestling fans listening to Nitro Nights Intelligence. There's so many. Everyone can think of hundreds, I expect. In the 90s, and this is like, you know, not even early 90s where you could potentially get away with it for a little bit. This is late, late 95, very late 95. Do, do people want to see a guy who, again, all due respect to Paul Orndorff, who is obviously past his prime, coming out in a glittery jacket, trying to sing a silly song? Is this the best use of Paul Orndorff at this time? Because the guy's, you know, he doesn't look. He looks in good condition, but he doesn't look in his best. You can start to see the issues with his arm are taking effect. And he's obviously had one too many sunbeds because his skin's... He's he's, he's still tan, don't get me wrong, but you could see that he's getting a bit older. And when you've got Ric Flair on the show, who can get away with so much because of who he is with regards to the robes, the tan, uh, all of that, Flair gets away with all of it because again, who he is and Flair, you know, Flair is the man. It's maybe not really viable for Orndorff to potentially look in a similar way to Flair. Yeah. That sort of makes sense. You know? Yeah, it does. It does. It's like, um, 
I think Paul Ondorf had so much respect uh, backstage that they he just they probably thought just stick him out there because um, I mean he is he'll always be an interesting character, but yeah, I just felt he was outdated a little bit here. Okay, fair enough. I and mean, one thing I do really love from Ondorf here, in mind, is that he when he goes into the ropes and he's got this kind of almost like a falling elbow drop or falling forearm where he supports his the arm the army striking his opponent with he supports it with the hand of the other arm and falls forward and just drives it into their face similar to how bret hart does his uh his middle rope elbow drop that everyone's probably familiar with when bret goes through his normal routine setting up for, for the end of the match that sort of similar style but coming off the ropes um from a, from a standing position as opposed to coming off the ropes climbing he goes to do that and as he gets to his opponent, he stops and has a little bit of a disco dance to mock Disco Inferno. Now that I enjoyed. That was quality. That needs to be a GIF or a GIF or whatever it's uh, called. I but I'll, I'll like that. I bet you can find it somewhere. If not, Danny, make it. Make I will it. make it, actually. Yeah, I'll do that tonight. <laughs> uh, Orndorff then basically wins the match with a really vicious looking I suppose side suplex, almost, almost belly to back suplex. Disco Inferno looks like it. it he landed badly, but on the replay, fair play to Disco Inferno. He made it look nasty, but on the replay, it, it was safe as houses. So you know, fair play to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't sure what to call that move, but um, I don't think the announcers were either, were they? <laughs> no, I mean it's effectively a side suplex, I suppose, but it's. Uh, nowadays everyone looks at the belly to back suplex and refers to it as a German and so on uh, and it's I suppose it's like a side suplex almost a belly to back I guess not quite going into German suplex sort of area I don't know it looked great whatever it was so yeah definitely uh, we get more of the teleporting mustachioed one Mean Gene Oakland he pops up this time back on the ramp and he is uh waiting for the arrival of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman, because obviously one member of the Horsemen is uh, otherwise engaged. So these these three gentlemen come out to speak with Mean Gene, and they're talking about how everybody wanted to join the Horsemen when they were getting, you know, when they were putting the group back together, everybody wanted to be a Horseman. And that included the likes of Orndorff, the American Males, Mongo McMichael, which have got a little smile from me because we know where he ends up. Everyone in the Dungeon of Doom that Brian Pillman's listing. And Brian Pillman's just running his mouth and being a bit obnoxious and trying to, get, I suppose, just trying to get a reaction from people because he's being a bit of a dick. He then lists Hulk Hogan, said Hogan wore black and acted like the bad guy. He said, with all very tongue in cheek, staring right down the camera. So he knew what he was doing. It, very much that, uh, acting like the bad guy, wearing black to try and get into the horseman. And eventually, this brings out Paul Orndorff, who says, you know, I've got the utmost respect for you guys, but stop saying I'm too old or I'm not good enough to be in the horseman and so on. Uh, and it ends up in a bit of a, a bit of a face off, doesn't it? And Billman running his match and so on, Danny. What did you think of this whole segment here? I really enjoyed this because um, there was two things that ran through my mind when Pillman was talking was, can you imagine Hulk Hogan in the Four Horsemen in the 80s? How good would that oh have been? God, I don't know about good. I, 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 I would never, I don't want that. I don't even want that thought in my head. Why would you bring that up again? <laughs> so, no, that, um, and um, also the, uh, the bigger thing I was thinking of is how good would have Brian Pillman and Hulk Hogan feud would have been at this time? Yeah. Yeah, because Pillman was at the time. I mean, they're referring to him here. 
or Orndorff says it over and over again, you've got a loose cannon in your group there. And obviously, Brian, the loose cannon, Brian Pillman, becomes a character and, and so on. So we're very much getting into that loose cannon kind of, uh, that kind of time for Pillman. He ends up in the WWF very, very soon. We get the whole gun thing and all that sort of stuff, you know, the crazy Pillman stuff. But you almost do feel that Pillman would just not give a shit. Even here on this interview, that he would say things to purposely get a rise out of people and cause problems and turning around to, and saying that the, it's, it's not necessarily the words, but the words do hint towards it. But the, the expression on his face when he looked at the camera and said Hogan was playing the bad guy. It's, it's almost like a little peek behind the curtain. And, and I think that whole attitude of Pillman at that time was great. So Pillman and Hogan in a serious feud here, especially with the fans booing Hogan, which we'll come to shortly. I think Pillman would have been superb here. He'd have been in his element and Hogan would have probably ended up hating working with the guy. <laughs> which is explains why it never happened, probably. Wow. <laughs> but no, yeah. <laughs> but no um, yeah, the whole segment, I really enjoyed it because... Um, to me, this felt like Mr. Wonderful being written off of television. Maybe that last match with Disco Inferno, I mean, I, I don't know. I've not looked this up or anything, but maybe this was his last hurrah. Um, I, I don't know, actually. And again, I don't... It's not It's not a case of me not doing my research. It's just that I don't want to look ahead. There are aspects yeah. of what happens in WCW, of course, that I'm going to remember. And as we watch them, they're going to come back to me. But yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to actively look them up beforehand because I want to try and watch this in order and follow the stories and so on. So I'm not. I've not looked into anything that happens with regards to Paul Orndorff. So that'd be interesting to see where that does go. Yeah, I mean, what you're getting at, Danny, is the fact that eventually Pillman is is ranting and shouting and carrying on this loose cannon. He is, and he slaps Orndorff. To which Orndorff, rightfully so responds back in kind and gives Pillman a bit of a slap back and they end up with a bit of a scuffle hitting the floor. But as is with the horseman and has always been with the horseman, you attack one, you've got to take them all on. And that's why they were such a effective unit for so many, so many years. Flair and Arn beat down Orndorff. Pillman joins in. He's given a, a, a complete wasting by the four horsemen or three of the four horsemen, sorry. And then Orndorff is pile driven onto the concrete floor, an assisted pile driver, because Flair jumps off the stage in almost like a spike pile driver-esque way, in the same way that Teddy Blanchard and Arn Anderson used to do when they, when, they were, when they were a tag team back in the day. But the big thing for me here is not just the attack, because straight away, this symbolises that the horsemen are united. And I think that, that's a really, really important part of any horseman group, the fact that they are that way. What's really amazing to me in this whole segment, and it carries on for a little while, is the sell job from Paul Orndorff. I mean, just, just talk us through that, Danny. Talk us through Orndorff selling this this potential serious neck injury. Yeah, it's something that um, it had a lot of realism to it. Um, you don't see it a lot today. Like, he laid there for a good, a good 15 minutes and it looked, like, it looked very, very... I don't know how to say legit um, would be a mm -hmm. word. Yeah. Like, the way that he was selling, it reminded me of... Um, did you ever hear the story of um, Kevin Nash uh, when he won the WWF belt? Um, Bob Backlund was in uh, the ring selling his uh, power, but he won it in, I think, like eight seconds or something. Yeah, and Bob eight Backlund, seconds, that's right. Yeah, 
Yeah, and Rob Backlund uh, sold it so good that he crawled back to the locker room and then also crawled in the locker room, and even where there were no cameras or anything, because he was the ultimate professional. That's what this reminded me of. You get with the old school guys from the 80s and the 70s that will sell big to make um, someone like the Four Horsemen seem like a a legit threat. Well, to me, it's twofold, because the injury to Orndorff looks incredibly serious. So... If Orndorf comes back, which we don't know happens, but if Orndorf does come back, then instantly it, it garners him some reaction because he's come back from this incredibly you know bad injury. And two, like you said, it makes the horseman look vicious and nasty and and legit. I mean, Orndorf lies there, doesn't move, and then the yeah. the paramedics or the the medical people come over and they're testing his hands and his feet to see if he has any feeling in them. And this goes on, like you said, Danny. They go away for a break. They come back. And the next match is, is Lex Luger against Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And that match, the entrances are happening and they cut back to Orndorff, still on the floor, and he has not moved. And they're still checking on the guy. And then they come back to the match again, which is pretty much a relative throwaway television match. There's not much to it at all. It's, I mean, it's just to get Luger on the screen and make Luger look, look good in the build up to Starcade. Halfway through the match, we cut back and Orndorff is really carefully. And, and, and delicately being placed on the stretcher to be wheeled out. None of this stuff you see in the WWF now where people have got supposed neck injuries or back injuries and they're being rolled around, which is absolute nonsense. It's just ridiculous. This is deadly, you know, deadly serious is, is the, the impression we're getting given by the people who are handling the, the injured party, isn't it? Yeah, and even credit to the um, uh, the commentators too because they even put this over as well, um, making it uh, seem like it was uh, more um, dangerous than it than uh, than it probably was. You are absolutely spot on the money there. The commentary team were were, were brilliant. When we get back to Orndorff getting put on the stretcher, Bobby Heenan has actually left his position in the commentary team and he stood next to Orndorff. And and it's just the look on his face and how Heenan sells it as well. The whole thing was done brilliantly. Absolutely fantastic segment. Yeah, and I think that is a fantastic storytelling on Bobby Heenan because he managed um, Paul Orndorff, as he mentioned earlier. So it's mm. like, I've got, I might be a bad guy, ring announcer, um, commentator, but I, do, I am a human being and I care about my old Heenan family. Yeah, yeah. Seems that way, mate. Seems that way. Especially if there's money in it for him, eh? Oh, yeah, um, of course. <laughs> oh, man, what a legend Bobby Heenan was. So good, so good. Uh, Luger versus Haxel, as I mentioned, was very much a, a TV throwaway contest designed to make Luger, I suppose, look strong. Uh, Duggan dominates the early couple of minutes before eventually Luger takes control. And eventually Luger grabs Haxel and gets him up into the rack to which the crowd go wild for, don't they? They, they love that finisher. That move is over, isn't it, Danny? Oh, it's really over. I think um, the bigger the guy, the bigger the pop, the guy going into the rack, because um, I didn't think that Hacksaw Jim Duggan could get in the rack. But yeah, I was impressed in this. But yeah, got a massive uh, ovation. Yeah, and that's really important, I think, for, for any wrestler who wants to you know move up the card, especially someone like Lex, who's potentially... I suppose his his repertoire isn't as advanced as maybe other people. He's, he he knows what he can do, and it's not you're not going to get a, a map based classic from Lex Luger in '95 onwards in any way, shape, or form. So if you have a finisher that is over, that I think really is really really important. 
and and yeah, Luger wins with the rack, and we basically get told Luger will be facing Chono at the pay per view as well. So again, Danny, we're finding out more information about the pay per view. We're getting virtually a full card. Top marks. I mean, they they're definitely putting in effort for this one. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And again, I say this match was kind of a TV throwaway match. Duggan did his role brilliantly. He hit some good power moves here. Luger bumped for him quite well early on because ultimately, if you come out and just squash someone, you've beaten nobody. If you make yeah. Duggan look look worthy in the first few minutes, he's beaten somebody. So there we go. Yeah, again, uh, even though it's literally a couple of minutes throwaway contest, and I suppose in a way designed to have Orndorff getting stretched away in the middle of your match, that's your main focal point. It still was quite good by that sort of standard. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was just something that we, we could... It didn't feel like a time filler. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, mate. Next up, we have Mean Gene again. He's all over this show again, isn't he? He's bloody everywhere. I was just going to say, I think um, Nitro without Mean Gene uh, it would have been completely different. I'm, I was trying to think as I was watching this, who would have fit in for, me, for Mean Gene's spot at this time? Oh, well, before Mean Gene, they had... Missy Hyatt was doing it for a while. Yeesh. Oh, no. You know? I mean, don't get me wrong. Missy Hyatt did some great stuff in the wrestling business. Uh, and was involved in some angles and so on. But as a backstage interviewer, wasn't wasn't that didn't play to her strengths, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of any others that were banging around at this time. Can't you really had Tony Schiavone, Shiv- but I think at that point, he was just on WCW Saturday night. Mm, yeah. I mean, if you look at AEW now, Tony Schiavone has become the mean gene of of their um, show, of Dynamite. Yeah, fair point, fair point. I, I, I suppose as well, when you get into pay-per-view sort of level, we've seen already, Schiavone is the main guy on the pay-per-views. And you yeah. have Eric Bischoff, who is effectively popping up around the place with a microphone to interview people. So that's quite an interesting change in dynamic there. And Bischoff was doing it as well before before uh, Mean Gene came in because you had Jim Ross, Jesse Ventura, and a few others on commentary. So Bischoff was popping up as uh, you know an interviewer, I suppose, as well. So maybe you're kind of looking at that. That would be about 93-ish going into 94. Would have been Missy Hyatt and Bischoff, I suppose, that kind of dynamic. Yeah, that's wow, interesting. That's... Yeah, it's like... I just, I just, he's, Mean Gene's done this so much that I just think he, he definitely fills his role well here. He's good at it though, isn't he? He's really, he's believable. Yeah. And it, it feels like yeah. he has a connection with each guy. Like he, if you have see him being interview, interviewing um, Hulk Hogan or Lex Luger, there's a lot of history there. So it just mm. feels like it, he belongs. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, mate. I agree. Anyway, uh, Mean Gene here is with our World Heavyweight Champion, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. And Savage is basically talking about how busy his schedule is with Gene. He's got a match coming up with the Giant. He's the winner of that, then faces Ric Flair. He's got a uh, match at the pay-per-view. And then he's got another match defending the world title at the pay-per-view. He's a busy, busy boy, isn't he? Oh, yeah, big time. Um, I liked this segment a lot, but we'll get into why, because it's another mistake that they've seemed to fix. And, yeah, I mean, this was... this was. Uh, I think this was the interview we should have got a few weeks ago where, uh, mm. on, on the post-World um, War Three Nitro. Yeah, I agree. I agree, because this is an interview that is about Savage. 
And this is an interview that is about Savage defending his title over an, you know, a working champion, a fighting champion. He's defending his title on TV. He's defending his title on pay-per-view. He's also wrestling another match on the pay-per-view. He is a fighting champion. And I think Savage comes out of this looking, again, it's such a short segment, but Savage comes out of this looking so much better than the last time he was stood there with Mean Gene because obviously the great orange racist one pops up and has to take all the limelight, doesn't he? Yep, and that's what um, the improvement was, um, that there was no Hulk Hogan on this interview, which I was very shocked about. I just kept thinking, oh, it's going to be five seconds, it's going to come out, it's going to be two seconds, and nope, he didn't even dare, he wasn't even there. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Let let Savage speak, and he does very briefly again in the next segment, because it's an advert for Slim Jim, and he's there peddling his... uh, Peddling his meaty wares, isn't he? Trying to get that sponsorship money in. So, yeah, you go earn yourself a few quid, Randy. Well done, pal. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that then brings us to our main event, which is, I mean, this is just stacked with star power, this main event, isn't it? What a what a contest this is. Yeah, I mean, this... Through, like... through, Danny, what we got? Yeah, we, we've got Hulk Hogan and Sting teaming up against Arn Anderson and Ric Flair in... A mega main event here. Absolutely. This felt like a pay-per-view main event. And they were given a lot of time, which I was very impressed about. Yeah, they really told a story here, didn't they? And I think this is one of the best Nitro main events we've seen so far. Granted, we're only a few months in to our watchback. But I think this is one of the best main events on Nitro we've seen so far. Because you have you have, you have, have the tale, I guess, of the, the horseman... Who, who are just getting back together. And they're, you know, the whole thing that Arn Anderson says, be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. And that's now being, uh, I suppose, put in front of our eyes now. The horsemen are back. People have been asking for it. But is it actually a good thing with how they're behaving and so on? And then you've got the, the sort of added layer of Hogan and Sting. Will they get along? Because, you know, there's issues there. And then we have Sting and Luger loitering in the background so does hogan trust sting because he's pally with luger and luger is in the dungeon of doom but then we also have sting is friends with savage and hogan is after savage for the world title but hogan is also friends with savage there's so many different layers into this here it's just absolutely bloody brilliant storytelling and television because it's not just straightforward oh good guy fights bad guy which works don't get me wrong that worked for decades but there's so much here i think we're starting to see some really interesting storytelling from WCW. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there's just so many avenues that can go as well, and that's what kept you watching. It was like, who's going to show up, or how's this match going to end, or things like that. Just anything, just so many wires crossed in your head when this mm. this big-time main event was happening. Yeah, without a doubt, mate. Without a doubt. We get a great reception for Arn and Flair, don't we? And they just yeah. look, they look so different but they just look so right together. Flair's coming out in the purple robe and his arms outstretched and the, the, the dyed hair and the, the sparklies all over him and all that. And Arn is just there looking deadly serious, all business, bomber jacket, enforcer on the back. They look like they shouldn't belong, but they just really look like they should at the same time, don't they? Yeah, they really do. And as soon as I saw that jacket, I immediately was on uh, Amazon trying to find uh, one a replica <laughs> Because that looks great, that jacket. Why, for me, as a present. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> just oh well, summertime is coming up, so there's no better time to wear a bomber jacket than that. Oh yeah, <laughs> mate. I want one of those. You can, you can. I think you can get it on a sweatshirt. But I'm not sure yep. about a jacket, or, or if you can get it on a jacket, it's like crazy expensive. Yeah, it was one of a kind. But he should really wear that on television on AEW, shouldn't he? Oh, to be fair, mate, I ain't sure it'll fit him no more. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm allowed to make digs like that because i'm a lardy boy myself um <laughs> we get a decent reaction for sting and the day it's sting people love sting and then uh, we get the questions from the commentary team is sting on his own because obviously arn and flair have come out together to the horseman's music which is standard sting has come out to his music now i didn't even it didn't even enter my mind that Hogan would come out with Sting to Sting's music. To me, I'm thinking Hogan's going to have a separate entrance to his own music. But the commentators here try and, I suppose, again, it comes back to telling the story. They're, they're selling the point that Hogan hasn't come out with Sting, as though it's odd. But I didn't pick up on that, first of all. No, I mean, that's you. it would be very odd brand for Hulk Hogan to just have his own entrance. You're right, I yeah. didn't think of it either. Um, despite the entire episode, they were building up, oh, they arrived differently at the airport, they arrived, they had separate locker rooms. I, I just thought that was just standard fare for Hulk Hogan. Well, yeah, fair point. <laughs> Eventually, Hogan does come out, as Sting's music is still playing, which again seemed really odd. Really strange. But when Hogan comes out, he is greeted with boos. They do not like Hulk Hogan in North Carolina. I'll tell you that. And the boos only subside when they get taken over by Hogan sucks chance, don't they? Yeah, that was um, it was complete contrast to um, just everything. Just really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sting and Arn Anderson start the match. Arn for a few minutes is out wrestling Sting. Which you'd expect because Arn is a wrestler's wrestler, I suppose. Uh, Sting gets the advantage with a well, he 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 counters something of Arn's, throws Arn into the ring, into the ropes. The guy Sting's size doing a leapfrog as high as he did is ridiculous. By the way, he looked amazing, and then yeah. he catches Arn Anderson with a huge press slam, which kind of turns the tide in favor of the babyface team or supposed babyface team here. Uh, Hulk Hogan tags in to huge boos and then flare tags in to huge cheers <laughs> that was brilliant it's, it's great isn't it uh the the horseman team of arn and flare are tagging back and forth working very much as a unit whereas sting and hogan are not quite operating on the same level here there's a few timing issues and so on which again is is a story that i think is very cleverly done because to me a good tag team should be two singles guys all the time. doesn't matter how good the singles guys are. I hate it when a tag team is thrown together. Like, like when we had, you know, um, Triple H and Austin or whatever, thrown together and they win the tag titles and they beat all comers that are tag teams. It just destroys your tag division. Surely tag team wrestling is, is a specialist kind of category to compete in. It should be completely different, shouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. The, um, like... I like that point you made because, like, when you've got the two big stars teaming together, it's like it just doesn't feel like a like a even match, does it? Against like a normal tag team, like you said, um, Triple H and Austin versus the Hardy Boys come, felt like the Hardy Boys did not have a chance. Which is not the way it should be. It's, to me, it should be the tag team. Again, we come back to it's a business, 
the two singles guys are going to be what draws you money. They're going to draw you money above the hardest. So I fully appreciate, you know, keeping them looking strong and so on. But in the tag division, recognized tag teams to me should nine times out of 10, shall we say, beat a team of two singles guys thrown together. Otherwise you're destroying your tag division. Because if anyone can just join up with their mate and walk out there at like, I don't know, 10 minutes notice, it makes a mockery of what these other guys have done for years, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, but there we go. There we go. Uh, we get a few timing issues, as I said, with tags and so on. Um, Hogan's not in the corner when Sting wants to make a tag at one stage. And then the situation's reversed when Hogan wants to make a tag and Sting's uh, distracted elsewhere. But it, it, it works. It's not cheesy. It's not, it's not overly done. It works really, really well to me it's a great again a great you know adage to the to the story they're telling we got a really cool spot here when sting puts the scorpion deathlock upon one of his opponents because hogan then comes into the ring as Arn anderson is coming into the ring and the referee gets distracted and Arn hits sting with a ddt as he has the scorpion deathlock on flair that just looked fantastic yeah, I wrote that down. Arn Anderson's DDTs are just beautiful, aren't they? So good, man. So good. The crowd popped huge for that, didn't they? Yeah, as well. Luger arrives here, and he takes out Hulk Hogan on the outside now, and he, he runs him into the ring post and so on. Um, we then get the figure four on Sting after after the horsemen have been working on Sting's knee for a little while, building up to the figure four, which, again... They look great doing. It's so simple, just the chop blocks and and the kicks, and the one guy holds. You know, Arn might hold him for Flair's knee drop or whatever, but it all looks believable. It all looks painful, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, and the crowd is totally into this. Eventually, the figure four is applied to Sting, and Flair is is you know slapping Sting and shouting at Sting, and Sting is dragging Flair from the corner towards his own corner whilst in the figure four, which. On one hand, it could be seen as maybe not, he's, not, he's not taking the move seriously, but the fact that Sting's doing it whilst selling the pain as well, but showing how powerful he is, to me, it's just absolutely brilliant. And it, it's just classic Sting flair stuff. It's, it's fantastic. And yeah. then Sting gets to the corner, uh, makes the tag, but Arn Anderson has distracted the referee, so the tag doesn't count. It's just, oh, just such good tag wrestling. Eventually, Hogan does tag in, Arn Anderson hits him really early with, with one of his famous patented Arn Anderson spinebusters. And here's where the wheels fall off because Hogan just doesn't sell it and just stands up and looks at him. And I've literally got a note saying, AAA spinebuster, Hogan no sells. Fuck off, Hogan. <laughs> uh, I'm in agreement with that. Um, yeah, to no sell this, especially with the crowds going the way they were, just unprofessional. It just, it just, just when we didn't get Hulk Hogan all night, we got him just here. I was thinking, oh, mm-hmm. man, this is going to be a great match. But yeah, you're right. The wheels did fall off. Oh, you say I'm professional. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not insinuating that Hogan went off script here or anything. This is obviously part and parcel of what was supposed to happen. But it's just, oh, that's one of Arden's biggest moves. You yeah. Just stand up. I know Hogan made a career out of it. He no-sold pile drivers from people and all that sort of stuff. And back in the day, the little kids loved it. But this is a bit different now. You know, you're getting booed for a reason, mate. And this is one of them. <laughs> I would say that this is the main reason. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Uh, we then get uh, we get the big boot, the leg drop. 
Hogan wins, jumps up to celebrate with the crowd who just, you know, cascade boos in his direction. And then we get the Horsemen, Jimmy Hart, Luger, everyone runs in. It's just complete carnage. Everyone's attacking everyone. And it's it's just bedlam. It's mayhem. And Luger, uh, Luger helps Sting. Sting and Hogan are getting the main main beat down here. Luger helps Sting, but won't help Hogan. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I think we all did, including the fans in attendance that night. Um, yeah, the b- biggest thing that stuck out to me during this aftermath of the match was the Hogan sucks chance and the trash being chucked into the ring. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yeah, that is organic when you get people throwing... Um, like rubbish into the ring cans and things like that, beer bottles, because that's something TNA tried to do as well. But you could you can tell when it's fake and when it's real, and that was real. Yeah, it's it's genuine go away heat, isn't it? To Hogan at this at this stage in this city, it's genuine go away heat. That's not what any wrestler wants. Boo them because you don't like them. That's fine. Uh, cheer them because you do. Whatever. But the fact that they're it's obvious now after how much WCW we've already watched in this, this short time of our, our watch back, Danny, it's obvious that these people are sick of Hogan, different cities, different reactions granted. And here we're very much in a flair country. We're hearing very, very much in Jim Crockett promotions country. Of course we are, but we're, they are sick of Hogan in this city. Yeah. They were having none of him on this night. No, exactly. As I said, uh, <laughs> Luger rescues Sting from the beatdown, doesn't help Hogan. Sting, when he's semi-recovered, does go and help Hogan. And then Savage runs in the ring as well. And we get Sting arguing with Savage, other people fighting in the background. The ring gets cleared. Eventually, Sting hits Savage and then acts like it was an accident straight away. So you've got all these different layers, again, haven't you, of, of Luger helping Sting, even though he's effectively a heel. And, but he won't help Hogan. But Sting will go and help Hogan. And after Sting has helped Hogan, Sting then hits Savage. So you're constantly guessing who, you know, who's with who, who likes who. And there's so many layers to this. It's really, it's not particularly complicated, but at the same time, it really has you guessing, doesn't it? Yeah, it keeps you guessing and keeps you wanting to watch the next week, what's going to happen and ultimately what's going to happen on a pay-per-view which is just a goal, which is brilliant. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on there, Danny. That is exactly it. It makes you want to watch next week. When this episode of Nitro finished, I mean, for those who don't know, we, we normally try and record a couple of episodes in bulk, get a few in the can and so on, especially now these episodes are shorter. We appreciate when we get into the Days of Thunder and the two, three-hour Nitros, that may not be the case. But whilst they're the one-hour Nitros, we try and record a couple in, in a sitting. I watched this episode of Nitro, Okay, let's look at it another way. In previous weeks, I've watched an episode of Nitro, and the close of the show has made me go, oh, man, I don't really want to press play on the next one. Here, I've watched this episode of Nitro. I could not wait to get, to press play. I, I didn't even go back downstairs and make myself another cup of tea, which is unheard of. That's, that's what I do all the time. I actually literally press play straight away to see what come next. So, you know, well done, Eric Bischoff. Well done, WCW. Well done, all the guys involved, because you hooked me here. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Same thing here. I just couldn't wait to hit the play button on uh, the second night as well. And um, yeah, really good, really good ending. Yeah, I mean, Mean Gene pops up again and has a brief chat with them. 
and they're all saying that, well, we need to be friends, we need to unite, and they, they're questioning each other and so on. Hogan says, I'm suspended. It's like, well, you're not, actually. You're on probation, and if you do something wrong, you're suspended. So is he giving the game away a little bit there, potentially, for what's coming up? Very possible, think- who knows what. I think he is. I think he may be angling for a holiday or maybe to film a, a TV show. <laughs> well, Christmas is coming up. Perhaps he wants to sit at home and have his turkey and, you know. <laughs> uh, more Hogan sucks chance piling down. And that's kind of the end of that episode of Nitro, isn't it, Danny? Yeah, um, really good. Like we said earlier, we just couldn't wait to get on to the next one. And before we do, before we head to next week's Nitro, as we, you know, Fast approach, Starcade 1995. Let's give our ratings, mate. Uh, as always, we have our plus points and our bad points, our pros and our cons, our woos and our oh brothers, Danny. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, sir. You crack on. So my woo was definitely the main event. Um, everything I loved about it. Uh, finish was a bit questionable, but um, yeah, I would say the main event was my woo. What was your woo, sir? My woo was going to be the main event, but then I thought I got to narrow it down and be a little bit more specific. And my woo was Hogan being booed in the main event because we know what comes in '96. We know that Hogan goes back to wearing the black but this time it's black and white and he's associated with a certain couple of other guys from up north shall we say we know what happens in 96 the more hogan is booed in the red and yellow the more people are sick of him in the red and yellow the closer we get to seeing that and that changed the wrestling business so to me hogan being booed that's my uh, that's my woo mate what about your negative for this week what's your old brother my friend this one was very hard, but I would have to say the way Hulk Hogan entered the ring, like um, I think he should have just come out to his own music. But um, when he came out, to, I mean, I know it was all to do with the story, but yeah, it just it didn't play up well. I mean, uh, there was part of me that thought, did he come out with Sting because they were scared that he would get booed if he came out on his own? Well, that didn't work because he, he came out a few seconds after Sting and got booed anyway, didn't he? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, but with his entrance theme and um, everything like that, and load of power, I, I think I think he would have absolutely got shat upon, and I think they oh, were yeah, scared totally. of that. Yeah, I think they were scared, so they had him run out at the last minute, um, and it was kind of like he was oh, just yeah. That would be my old brother this week. Um, what's your old brother, Sai? Well, before we get to my one. It's interesting you, you you view it that way because I took it as Sting had come out and then Hogan came out after Cross because Sting had left him behind. So yeah. another little bit of storytelling there potentially. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting either way, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think the only way we'll be able to have the answers if we see the formats. Yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Uh, my oh brother this week is really simple and straightforward it's Arn anderson hitting one of his best moves in his whole arsenal and the great orange one jumping up and no selling it fuck you hulk hogan that's a great shout okay hit missile middling my friend
Um, I'm going with a hit on this one. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it didn't feel rushed at all. And um, there was an actual we watched a couple of weeks ago where they kept all the matches short so that the main event could be long. But this, the, all the matches weren't kept short. They were evenly timed. And, um, yeah, and they still had a long main event. So, yeah, this is a hit for me. How about you, mate? Hit, hit, hit. 100%. Hit, hit, hit. Totally. Fantastic. Possibly one of the best episodes of Nitro we've watched so far. Uh, from Obviously, there's moments, you know, Luger coming out on the first one uh, and, and various other moments and matches that have stood out. But if you're looking for a quality from start to finish, this is right up there with one of the best episodes of Nitro we have watched. I enjoyed every minute of this. This was superb. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Well yeah. done, WCW. This was great. Absolutely. Right then. I suppose then, Danny, that, that that's the end of this episode of Nitro. Do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Struggle-O. Um You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with Chris Bellis, the great Chris Bellis, sorry. <laughs> um, you can I'll edit that me. out, mate. I'll edit that out, don't worry. The bit where you say great, I'll just cut it. So you just go, yeah, Chris Bellis. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you. You can hear me on A Changing Attitude with the great Mags Orientella. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking more Nitro with the great Cy Powell. Oh, you're very kind, mate. You're very kind. You can find me on Twitter at SJP Words. And on Facebook, there's a group there, SJP All the Shows and Info. And both serve the same purpose. You can basically get links to all the stuff I'm involved in, whether that's podcasts such as this one, Nitro Nights with Danny here, or whether that's more wrestling content with regards to chain wrestling, which is live on a Monday night on Twitch and YouTube, or uh, the, pod the podcast version that comes out later in the week. Or if science fiction, time travel is a little bit more your bag, I cover Doctor Who with our good friend Dan Griffin and Quantum Leap with our good buddy, Mr. Benny Mac in podcast form on a weekly basis as well. But all of those shows, links to all of that content can be found via the Facebook group, SJP, all the shows and info, or simply by following me on Twitter, at SJP Words. Brilliant stuff, Danny. I've had a great time looking at this Nitro. It's been superb, not just because I'm talking to you, which is normally the high point of the show, but the fact that the show was actually pretty bloody good itself. Yeah, same here. I can't wait to see what happens next week. You know, being WCW, we're going to be firmly let down, don't you? Oh yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have a good. We're gonna have a good time watching the downfall. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, there we go then, Danny. As always, mate. Brilliant time. Brilliant time. Thank you to everyone else, Danny. I'll speak to you next week, bud. Take care, mate.